0: Welcome to Sales Enabled, the podcast for salespeople, sales leaders and sales enablers everywhere who are committed to making the sales profession
1: better for everyone involved. Hey everybody, Dan Storey here and welcome to episode 23 of Sales Enabled where I'm speaking with Dre Baldwin, CEO and founder of Work On Your Game Inc., Dre is a former professional basketball player who now teaches the mindset of success he developed in his sports career to business owners and salespeople globally, either through his coaching, four TED Talks, one of his 33 books on the topic of success mindset, or his podcast, which has had over 7 million listeners. (laughs) Something tells me I need to increase my productivity. Dre is a living example of the power mindset has on a sale and business career. And this is a topic that is of the highest importance for all salespeople, but because the focus for training tends to be on hard skills and process often gets overlooked. That's why I'm so excited for this episode as we really get into how the same mindset that professional athletes develop can be used in a sales and business space too. Specifically, Dre and I dive into details such as why he needed to make 60 cold calls to get picked to be a basketball player why salespeople should approach developing their skills like an athlete, and the four mindset areas that Dre focuses on during his coaching. This is a great deep dive into the importance of developing a success mindset with someone who has lived the results. So let's go ahead and jump into the show.
0: All right. Dre, it is great to see you, and I have to say I'm super excited about this conversation. When I started the podcast, it was these kind of conversations that I wanted to bring to business. So thank you so much for connecting, and I'm excited to uh, to pick your brains today.
2: I'm excited to be here, Dan. I appreciate you having me on. So I'm looking forward to this. So before we even get started,
0: tell us a little bit about your story, just so re- you know, listeners can understand why I guess I'm so excited about hearing from you.
2: Sure well the two-minute background I uh, come from the city of Philadelphia now in Miami Florida I always played sports growing up Gotten a basketball by age 14 which is pretty late for someone who's ambitious in a sport only played one year high school played division three college ball which is the third tier of sports doesn't really produce pro athletes they don't really come from that level I got out of college still wanted to play pro ball even though nobody was offering me an opportunity so I had to kind of Make my own opportunity. So, my first year out of school, I worked a couple of regular jobs. Then, a year removed, I went to this event called an exposure camp, which is kind of like a job fair for athletes. Played pretty well there. I leveraged my performance there and the results from that to get started playing pro ball. And that was in 2005, to give everybody a time frame here. I took the footage from that exposure event and I put it on this brand new website called YouTube. And that's where I started this parallel career. And even though the internet thing was not really a career until several years later, but I started to build an audience. So around 2010, uh, my phone was not ringing. I was a free agent in sports. And I looked at what I had going on in the internet because I had this audience and I figured how can I start to maybe monetize it? So from from some books that I've read and people I've been following, I got some ideas on how I could create products. My first product was a $4.99 training program for basketball players. And that's how I got started, really, in the entrepreneurial space. And But I've always been a salesperson, always had the, the business mindset, even though I didn't always have the tools and the strategy. But I started to develop those. And in the last five years of my pro basketball career, from 2010 to 2015, I was selling things on the internet, building up an audience online outside of basketball, because I started talking about mindset as well. And, yeah. and I was playing basketball. So by 2015, when I stopped playing and started doing what I do now full time, which I've been doing ever since. I already had an audience, I already knew what I was going to be doing. I knew what I was going to be talking about. So my transition from sports to business was not the normal transition simply because I'd already been creating momentum up to that point. So that's how we got here.
0: Amazing. And I think this this is one thing I've noticed. I've been training salespeople for a, a good amount of time. There's something about that sports to business transition that goes really well. There's some sort, and you you'd mentioned their mindset. There's some sort of approach that people take that is so similar between sport and business or sport and sales and i don't know what it is but i know you're going to bring out some of the ideas and tips that you share with people today whether it's a a competitiveness whether it's just a, a willingness to put in the work behind the scenes so when game day comes they've got more in the tank than anybody else i'm not entirely sure what it is but i'm really keen to hear your idea uh, also as somebody who has dabbled in sport i'm not going to say dabble uh, just because i'm next to you um you know, really excited to see how also, because I'm I'm guessing there were so many obstacles and and uh, just roadblocks to getting into pro sport. You know, I've played against Div 3 athletes that they're, they're not, they're not bad, <laughs> they're extremely good athletes. It's nice. just, there's such another gap to the pro level. So what was it, what was it about you? So like you say, there's thousands of Div 3 athletes all wanting to get into pro sport. What was different about you? How did you make that transition successfully?
2: as far as from sports to business?
0: No, let's go Let's go into pro sport because I think that's a big gap. And then we're going to talk about sport into business.
2: Okay, so right around age 15 or 16, then I started to think, I was going to say believe, but let me say think that I could play at the pro level because I didn't really have any information, right? So this is, yep. I grew up in the 90s. So this is not, it's not like you look on the internet and see what everybody else is doing. You just know your little neighborhood. So yeah. 15, 16, I started thinking, all right, this is what I want to aim for. Again, I only played one year high school. I played Division three college ball. So even when you're playing at that level, even if you were amazing, you're only playing against guys who don't even have the ambition to play pro. So you're not really yeah. – in the big picture, you're not proving anything. So yeah. when I got out of college, I knew this because there were players who had better careers than me at that level who didn't get any opportunity to play pro. So I realized probably about my junior year of college then that – I was going to need to do something outside of just play well at this school to play pro. Because, again, there were players who came before me who played better than me in college, but nobody gave them an opportunity. So by deductive reasoning, I'm like, okay, well, playing well here isn't going to do anything for me at the next level. Nobody cares because who are you playing against? Nobody who's a pro. So I already had my mind on that and I was just trying to figure out what will I need to do. And now the internet did exist at this time. We're talking 2000, I graduated college in 2004. So the internet existed, but it wasn't as robust as it is now. There was pretty much one resource if you wanted to play overseas basketball, if you're from the United States. Damn. And that site would just list uh, exposure events, which you know an exposure campus? Yeah. Uh,
0: no, I had to, I had to create a highlight reel and put that onto the internet, and that was back in the day when you used to literally use scissors to cut pieces of videotape.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, that was that was even before me. So, uh, an exposure camp is like a, a casting call. It's like mm-hmm. a job fair, but for athletes. Yeah. So, but instead of you bringing a, a you wearing a suit and bringing your resume, you actually bring your sneakers and you play. And there's a bunch of people, a bunch of ball players who all think they're good enough to play pro, or they already are playing pro. And we're just yep. all looking for our next job opportunity. That's what the yeah. Exposure Camp is. And the audience is full of uh, coaches, agents, scouts, managers from all over the world because these are destination events. They come to these events specifically looking for their next employee, basically, yep. next player they want to sign up. So I went to that event. It was $250 in cash. And I didn't have a bank account or a credit card at the time, Dan. So I had to call the event and negotiate with them. Can I pay you in cash at the door? And they said, yeah, we'll take take the cash. They would have took anybody's money. I later found out, but they, <laughs> they say, yeah, we'll take your cash. And I had to negotiate because at the time I was working at a, a gym and you work in retail. Nobody gets the weekend off. Right. So this camp was Saturday, Sunday. So I had to get off Friday, Saturday and Sunday. I had to negotiate with my boss to get those days off and make up the other days when I got back because I was one of the best salespeople there at that that summer. Yeah. So I got the days off. We drove from Philly to Orlando. It was about a 19 hour drive. I hopped out of the car Saturday morning at 9 a.m., which was the start time of the camp. So I could have got away with that at age 23. Couldn't do it now, but I did it then. And uh, played pretty well. Again, those two days played well. It was only two games on Saturday, two games on Sunday. That's how these camps go. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: I got a good scouting report, which is third-party validation that this guy is pro-level. And I had the footage, which is on this thing called a VHS tape. You remember those? I do remember those. So, oh, yeah. Right. So, so that, that's what happened there. And I did not sign a contract on the spot. So this is not some yellow brick road Disney movie. I had to get back to work. I had to be back at work on Monday. So we got right back in that rental car and drove right back to Philadelphia. It was me and a couple of my teammates who I played in college yeah. with. They also had professional ambitions and had to be back at work on Monday. Uh, and that's what I, what I did when I got back then was I started Googling basketball agents So anywhere, any agent who had a phone number listed, I called them and I just, I'm just straight up cold calling basketball agents because I don't know anyone overseas. So I figure I'm going to play overseas, but nobody knows me. So who's the go-between? That's the agent. So an agent in sports is the same as a literary agent or entertainment agent. They have the connections to the jobs and they, they represent the talent. So I just needed an agent to represent me because again, nobody was checking for me coming out of college. So I needed to sell an agent on selling me. So I called 60 basketball agents out of those 60 agents and each one who i called i said hey here's who i am i got the scouting report i can send you a link to the scouting report and i have this footage so these 60 agents said okay out of the 60 20 of them said let me see what you got let me see your footage now mind you this is vhs tape i had to make copies of the vhs tape and physically mail the tape out to these 20 agents who asked to see my footage and of the 20 who i sent the footage to one of them got back with me and said, okay, I will represent you. And that guy was the guy who helped me get my first job uh, playing professional basketball. So that's how I got started. That was in the summer of 2005. That's how I got started playing overseas. That's amazing.
0: And uh, I'm sure the, the career was successful and you got plenty out of it, but also had to put a lot of work into it. So let's do this. Let's just start on that because we got salespeople listening to this. How do you sell a basketball player how, and, and this is this is something i find that people have challenged as well especially entrepreneurs is mm-hmm. they struggle to sell themselves now here you are right. calling people up trying to say how exactly amazing you are right how <laughs> how do you how do you put that through as a value proposition without coming across as like crazy arrogant or something along those lines what did how did you adjust yourself on that
2: that's a great question. And I, I never thought of it. I never thought about that part there, like not sounding arrogant. It was just, the thing is, several several pieces to this answer here. So number one is that I've always had this ability to sell myself. And I got this from when I was in college. I've always had jobs. I started working when I was 15 years of age, which is my the era that I come from neighborhood I come from, my parents would always tell the kids, look, when you get old enough that you can legally work, you're going to get yourself a little, a weekend job. It's not like a full-time yeah. job. You still go to school, but McDonald's, you no know, pizza hut, those kind of jobs. I worked at all of those places. I had 20 jobs before I got out of college. Yeah. And I remember I had this job in retail once. It was a hat store. They just sold hats. It was called hat world. And the woman who worked there was about my mother's age, about 20 years older than me. And we would just talk because it's a little tiny store. We're in the mall in the middle of the day on like a Wednesday, nobody's in there. So you are just talking to each other. And I would just ask her about her background, what she had been doing up to that position. She had had all these retail management jobs. And I was impressed because when we were kids, again, back in the days, this is before the internet. When you wanted to get a job, you had to go physically to the place, ask for an application they give you a piece of paper. You filled it out with an ink pen and you handed it back to them. and, Anybody who could get a job, we were impressed because, like, we would fill out applications and never get called back. So yep. she got had, had had all these jobs. So I said, "How did you get all these jobs? how did you get hired for so many jobs?" Because she had been a manager at like every retail place you can name. She said, "Well, I got the interview and I sold myself." And she kept saying that phrase, "I sold myself." Every interview I got, Dre, I sold myself, and I never heard anybody use that phrase before. But mm-hmm. it made me perfect. As soon as I heard it, I understood it—that you had to be able to talk yourself up in a way that again, you you don't sound like you're being hyperbolic, but at the same time, you're telling the truth. And that's what I tapped into when I got out of that exposure camp. Now I have proof as well. So it's not like I'm just talking. I have proof. My proof was, here's a scouting report of someone saying this guy is a pro level player. And here's footage of you can see me doing the stuff that it says I can do. So I already had the proof. All I needed to do was get in front of one of these agents and say, look, Here's what I got. Here's who I am. No, I'm ready to play now. I can do this. I can do that. And that's what I went and did. And I realized, because again, go back to what I told you a few minutes ago, Dan, that coming out of a Division three college, uh, believe it or not, most players who play Division three ball, I would say about 60% of us think we're going to play pro ball. Everybody thinks, every college basketball player thinks they can play professional basketball. Yep. Yep. So if you ask any college ball player, they all think they're going to play pro. But none of them is willing to actually do the stuff necessary to get the opportunity. Now, if you're playing Division One, the agents are calling you. You have op. You have options. You can yep. choose to play or not play. <clears throat> but Division Three, the only way you're playing is if you actually go and take some initiative. And I realized that I have more initiative than most of my peers. So that's. I mean, it's the reason why I went to that exposure camp. Two hundred fifty dollars, nineteen hour drive, negotiating three days off from work. Like I just those three initiatives alone is things most players wouldn't have done. So. When I got that scouting report and that footage, I said, what else can I do that other players are not doing? Because you got to understand, it's about 5,000 jobs for an American-born male to play basketball worldwide. In the whole world, 5,000. That's not a lot of jobs. People think that sounds like a lot. That's not a lot. So, and also coming from the D3 level, Dan, what really on the court made me that much different from about 500 other players? And honestly, nothing. Uh, Nothing there are other players who had the same comparable skill ability and I had. So what was going to separate me from them is I got to do what they're not willing to do. And I know the mindset of a lot of athletes. They think, well, I'm just talented. I'm good. When I get on the field or the court, they'll see that I'm good and it'll happen. Well, I'm thinking to myself, well, how am I even going to get on the field or the court? So, so. I, what am I going to do that they won't do? And I always, again, I had the sales mindset. Now, I know most athletes don't have that. They have the athlete mindset. They'll just go yep. do athletic stuff and everything will come to them just because of that. I knew I had to do something more than that. So that that was the mentality that got me making those cold calls and getting that agent. And I had to do that more than once. So my career was not, again, even once I got on, it wasn't a yellow brick road after that. I went to more than one exposure camp. I had to find another agent because one agent said, I don't want to be a basketball agent anymore. I had to find another one. So these, these kind of things happened. But again, I was always a salesperson, always a person willing to go and uh, one of our principles here of work on your game is personal initiative. Go make things happen instead of waiting for things to happen. All right? So yep. nobody's calling your phone. You ring some phones. Nobody's knocking on your door. You go knock on some doors. So Damn. I'm always that type of person. So and as I told you, I'm a salesperson more than I'm an athlete. I just happen to sell myself as an athlete. That was the product for a few years. So mm-hmm. that was the, the mindset there. I don't even remember what the question was. I don't even remember either, but it was a brilliant answer. So this is a great thing. Yeah. I think
0: what, what you talked about there, and this is you know, something that I've seen. And, and one of the frustrations I have with salespeople is a, you call it initiative. Some people call it persistence. Is that yeah. I want to get somewhere and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. You mm. made 60 calls. You had 40 no's. That's a two-third rejection element. Like That would beat down enough people to go, oh, I've made a couple of calls. It hasn't worked. Maybe I'll try something else. So there's that persistence piece, which I think is just phenomenal. So I think, yeah, people should listen to that. If you know you've got a route, just go and keep going. Try different ways. 60 different ways to get to one spot is not unreasonable. if You know you want to get to that spot. So I like that persistence. I love that. Let's talk a little bit about YouTube, just real quick. Because what what I'm thinking right now is that you've looked at YouTube and you thought, oh, how can I capitalize on this? We're at another point especially for salespeople with this kind of AI arrival and just uh, you know people looking at it and going, is that going to be a thing? I think it might be a thing. How did, how did you know to embrace YouTube? And then if you were looking at yourself in that starting point again now, given AI, what advice would you give to people thinking about how they should use AI?
2: Great question. So the first thing with YouTube was I didn't get on YouTube as some uh, genius business strategy, even though i love to say it was, it was not. I put my video on YouTube just cause I had a VHS tape and it was only one copy. And I knew the internet was the internet and I knew if I put something on the internet, I didn't have to worry about keeping an eye on it or making sure I took it from this apartment to that one. It was just be on the internet. It was just there. So I said, let me just put the footage there. So at least it'll be safe. That's the only reason i put the video on youtube so as long as youtube didn't go away so i was i gambled that youtube wouldn't go away and it didn't so what happened is after i put that video up maybe a few months later i just went to the website just to check make sure it was still there and there were comments on the video so there were people who had found this video and again nobody knows my name so nobody's looking for me they just happened to find a random basketball video this guy looks like he can play And they were leaving comments like, hey, who taught you how to play? Where do you play at? How often do you practice? Can you make videos about this or that or that? Because they saw that I looked like someone who might be able to help them. So what I realized then was that I had an audience of people. And this is a very small, very small audience at first of young players who are maybe about 10 years younger than me. They had the same challenge that I had had at their age, the differences. They could go to the Internet and get help, whereas I didn't have the Internet to go to to get help. So I said, All right, how about I just take my little cheap hundred dollar camera, which is what I had at the time This before we had cameras on our phones. And I'll just take it with me to the gym and I'll just film the workouts that I do. And I'll you know, cut little pieces up and put it on YouTube. This is what the players want. OK, I'll do that. It didn't, doesn't hurt me. There was no money to be made on YouTube at this time. So it was nothing to for me to benefit from it. But yeah. it, it kind of you know, helped my ego, I guess, a little bit that I was giving somebody something that they could use. I didn't even have a tripod then. So there was a little bench. <laughs> You're on leaning the stuff up, up yeah. there. Yeah, it was a little bench next to the court where you would put your stuff down, your gym bag and all that. I just put the camera on a little bench and just pointed it towards the court and just push record. I didn't even stop or start the video. I just filmed the whole thing. And then I would just put it on my computer and I would just take little pieces to look interesting or you no know, impressive. And that that's what I'll put on YouTube. And it would just be randomly. This is not like I was putting out videos every day from the beginning. There was no content strategy. Yeah, I put videos out whenever I felt like it, because again, I'm not making money from YouTube. So why do I care if I put a video on YouTube or not? I didn't care. Yeah. It was just whenever I got around to it, but I did it. It was inconsistently consistent. So it'd be like once a month, I put yeah. a video on YouTube, but every time I put a video up, People were like jumping on it immediately. Mm-hmm. So no matter what it was, because I was the only person online in any sport at this time putting content out, showing you how to practice this sport. Nobody was doing this in any sport in 2005. And I did that from 2005 to again, about 2009, 2010. I was doing it inconsistently, but they knew my name and yeah. my name was only growing by word of mouth. So there was no ads. There was none of that. It was just word of mouth. People, ball players, were telling other ball players, "Hey, go on YouTube and look up this guy named Dre Baldwin, and he's showing you how to practice basketball." And that's where the YouTube thing came from. And what's ironic to this day is that if I'm out at the mall or something, somebody recognizes me. Nobody recognized me for being a professional athlete for almost ten years. They all recognized me from being on YouTube, right? So it's just funny that YouTube got me a lot more attention than. The thing that i was actually working on which is the only reason i made youtube videos because i was practicing to be a pro athlete but nobody knows me from being a pro athlete they all know me from youtube
0: well that's the power of the internet right um especially if you get it right so you know timing timing is a fact so if you look at ai now and the opportunity how are you how are you thinking about ai how do you think other people should be thinking about ai yeah
2: that was the other half of your question i forgot so with the ai i think well first of all ai's coming i was just on I was looking at this app that I have uh, like a paid membership to yesterday and they have this thing called the AI extender. You ever seen mm-hmm. this? No. So the AI extender is you take a photo and it, it puts the photo on, on the screen in a square and then they make a square. that's like bigger than the like a frame that goes around the photo that's bigger and you can extend it as much as you want. And then you hit the button to AI extend and it will analyze the photo. And it will make the photo bigger by make, putting AI stuff around it. So I had this picture of me sitting on the couch, right? So imagine like how you can see me right now. You see the bookshelf yeah. behind me. Yeah. If I did the AI extender on this, it would extend the bookshelf and put more books behind me that don't even exist. But it would look like a real photo. And I'm like, Jeez. this is crazy. And then you have another one where it's called the AI. like You can add stuff. So you can basically take a photo of you. Let's say you take the photo of you right there. And you highlight the part that you want to get rid of. And you say, put me in put me in, a, a, uh, in an amusement park and the photo will go like you're in an amusement park. It will look like a real photo. Or you can say, put me next to, I did one I said, put uh, some women at a party with champagne. And it was women next to me with champagne glasses. And it looked like a real photo. Like you would not think that it was AI generated. No. So like AI is coming and you can create things out of literally nothing you got to have some idea what to tell it to do, though. That's the, the challenge that many people are going to have is what you tell it to do, because you can tell it literally anything and it can do it. So as far as content goes, first of all, the uh, being able to put like uh, the text, the captions on the video is a good thing. And yeah. it can you can create a ton of content in a very short period of time with AI. Again, yeah. you just got to figure out what do you want to have it create, and how are you going to organize it in such a way that people can get value from it. I think there's a ton, a ton of opportunity there. And me myself, but as much content as I've created, I want to create more of those, like you know, those little montage videos, or it'll be like some motivational speaker, and they'll put some oh yeah, music, some dramatic
0: it. music. Yeah, H- hands in or writing a theme.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
0: those
2: videos blow up. Like you'll see some yeah. of these have a million views, and it's made by some random person who you don't even know who made it. But those right. people make entire channels out of that.
0: Motiversity is like, I listen oh. to that stuff while I'm on the stepper, right? When I'm doing yeah. my cardio, which I very rarely do, <laughs> but that's, that's the only thing that gets me through it. I can, right. I'm in, I'm in the zone and I'm listening to that stuff. Right. So, so a time of opportunity. Yeah.
2: So I want to take some of my content and mix it with AI and I can make a whole channel just off of that.
0: That's so cool. Because salespeople are obviously generating content and they're generating um messaging and they're writing emails and stuff so i i think the sales application is really interesting you Mm -hmm. said for your videos you obviously got the feedback and it kind of gave you guidance how did you know because this is the one thing i've seen is people are creating content and i'll tell you why i'm asking this question i had a conversation i think it was yesterday or day before and i was coaching this lady on putting content on social media and she's like i want to do stuff that appeals to everybody because i want to create a brand and i was like wait (laughs) You want to create a brand but you want to make everybody happy like give me a brand tell me who you like why do you like them and then does everybody like them she's like no so you can't create stuff that everybody likes so you obviously had uh you had the audience you know who it was you said like people who are 10 years younger coming through the ranks as basketball players Mm -hmm. so you you had an angle of content how what advice would you give people who now i see the the content coming out of ai being very generic because it's still still in its Mm -hmm. How would you you advise people to think about that? Because salespeople, entrepreneurs, they want to become experts. They want to build that brand for themselves. So what advice Mm -hmm. would you give them on the content front?
2: That's a a great question. I think that's going to be the biggest challenge for a lot of people with AI because it's it's wide open. You do whatever you Mm -hmm. want. But if you don't narrow down and get specific as to what you want to do, everybody's going to be creating generic stuff. And we're going to have basically another wave of the same problem people have now yeah oh, everybody's too much just information. To, yeah everybody is just trying to relate to everybody and it doesn't make doesn't do anything, so you yeah. have to narrow down by elimination that's the the biggest thing and it's a challenge for a lot of us, especially entrepreneurs, so you have that blank slate, you could do whatever you want, and then we tend to throw the whole kitchen sink at people and it overwhelms them, and they get nothing from it so mm-hmm. the biggest thing is when it comes to using a i or anything is who specifically do you want to serve. And who do you not want to serve? You need to know that as well. You know, I I talked to my audience about, you know, we have attraction marketing, but I talked to them about rejection marketing. Who do you want to reject? Who do you want out of the room? Uh, Who should be outside of the circle on this thing? And that, that is a a big thing. That us versus them dynamic is a real thing. So, and speaking of sales, I mean, think about Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, right? There was the us versus them, right? (laughs) Us versus the boss, right? So that's a, that's a real thing. So you had to get really specific as to who you want to serve. And that doesn't mean that people outside of that target won't come into your world anyway. Yep. But you just got to get specific as to who they are.
0: Yeah. A friend of mine, she's a comedian. And she says, you know, if you tell a joke and it doesn't land, maybe that's just not your audience. I'm like, oh, yeah, right. Pretty good way to think about it. Yeah, um, yeah. So let's talk about this. Let's, go, let's jump back into sales. So you, you had the sales career. You had the sports career. So there's, you know, there's a, a parallel between the two. What do you think it is? What do you think the the crossovers are? And that's not my basketball pun, but we'll put it in there anyway. <laughs> but what what do you th- what do you think is in sport that enables you to
2: be a good salesperson? Well, number one in sports, nobody wins every game. Most athletes don't win all their games. So the only mm. place where someone might go undefeated is like a, a boxer, I guess these days, because they they pick and choose their opponents. And maybe yeah. a wrestler, I don't yeah, follow yeah. that right one. But every <laughs> other sport. Basketball, no team ever went undefeated. Yeah, And no football, only one team ever went undefeated. Patriots almost did it, then they lost. All right, so you take losses in baseball. The old saying in sales is in baseball, you get on base one out of every three times you're in the Hall of Fame and they pay you the $10 million, right? Yeah. So it's the concept of understanding that not every shot you take is going to go in, but you show up as if the shot is going to go mm. in. Understanding that- every no gets you closer to a yes all right so if you take enough shots eventually you'll score enough points uh, in in the sales world that's pretty much how it works like i made again i called 60 people one guy eventually said yes so honestly it was one out of 60 it wasn't even 20 out of 60 one out of 60 because mm-hmm. right? so 20 of them got my footage and they still weren't interested so the whole thing is just understanding that that mental toughness that you're going to take a bunch of shots not every shot's going to go in But that's okay. Every no gets you closer to a yes. And you kind of get calloused from the no's. They just start to just uh, fall off of you and they don't slow you down. You just go right to the next one. Who's the next one going to be? Who's the next one? Who's the next one? Of course, you want to get better at closing more often, but uh, you have to have the right parameters. You got to have the right expectations because sometimes depending on what you're selling, people just don't have the means to buy it. So if you talk to 10 straight people and don't have the means to buy what you're selling, it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with your ability to close. It just means you're talking to the wrong prospects or you didn't know if they were the right prospects until you got into the conversation. So it's just making sure you set the right expectations given your resources and given the situation that you're in.
0: One day we'll talk about my sports background. Like I said, I told you I played football. I'm now, I'm now a bodybuilder. Like I don't know how I got into that. So hence the slightly orange, uh, don't adjust your sets type look. Um, the fake tan is wearing off on a weekend. In sport, it's obvious that you need to train. Like it's just obvious. It's part of the culture. You know, you go to the gym, you do the three a days, four a days if you're in trouble. Um, you know, you you watch game footage. You do all of that, right? And you you study the game. You develop yourself as an athlete in sales there's this concept and you know people fall into sales because they've got a natural talent to talk to people or something so there is, it doesn't seem to be this need to train and develop it doesn't it doesn't always go hand in hand but someone who's you know you you talk to sales people as well someone who spent their life training sales that frustration is there because athletes they get it in you know obvious sales don't get it what what would you say to someone as a salesperson who currently isn't thinking that they need to develop their game outside of like in game time, even though
2: it's that as a salesperson, you're going to have, it's kind of like the bell curve, about 5% of your sales, they're going to be the easy ones, the layups, or as some people call them lay Somebody just walks <laughs> in and lays the credit card down and you just take the money. Those are the, those are the easy ones. Yeah. About 5% of your sales are going to be that and assuming that you have a lead process then about five percent of your sales are going to be no way these are people who no matter what you say what you do what you offer you could your product would be one dollar they're not going to buy it right? they're yeah. just not buyers the other 90 percent, excuse me those are in the middle and you're not going to get all of them but you have to get some of them and yep. you cannot sustain a career on just the easy ones because there's not enough of them so you got to take the, all of those in between sales and you got to win some of those. And the parallel to sports is the road game. In sports, you got home games where the, whole, the crowd's cheering for you. You know everything. You're in a comfortable environment. And then you got the road game where you're, the crowd's cheering against you. Other team, you know, the crowd hates you. the Other teams uh, all planned out to beat you. And maybe the circumstances set up for you to lose in some way, shape, or form. You're not going to win every game on the road. But you have to win some of them. You can't only win home games and expect to be a champion. It's impossible. You got to go on the road and you got to win some games. So the, in the sales world, that parallel is the athletic road game and the sales world where you're that customer who they have the money, they are interested, but they're kind of on the fence and they're kind of giving you excuses and they're giving you objections. And you are not going to close every one of those, but you can't miss all of them because you yeah. won't be able to sustain a career.
0: What, what have been the biggest skills? Like So you, like you said, early on, you said age 15, you were able to, you figured out you had to sell yourself. Mm-hmm. In your time, either selling yourself or you worked in sales as well, what were some of the key things that you learned? Like the key skills that you think set yourself apart and enable you to be as impactful as you are as a salesperson? Because clearly you're a very good salesperson. Like I could tell that come through. What are some of the key skills that you think you've developed over the years?
2: It's a great question. I would say the the biggest thing is kind of what you talked about earlier is that ability to talk yourself up, but without it looking like you're talking yourself up. And that's a, that's a communication skill. And it's a soft skill. It's not a color by numbers. Hey, when they say this, you say this. It's not like that. It's, that's a hard skill. Soft skill is your ability to let people understand your value and why you're important. Without making it look like you're trying to make them understand why you're important. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a soft skill and it's, there's a touch. There's a touch that goes into it. And yeah. it's an art. It's not a science. And not everybody is born with that ability naturally because not everybody has the communication skill. But it's something that can be developed. Anyone can develop that if they practice it enough. And the best way to I think to practice it is really to read and listen to other people who already have the skill. Because you'll pick up these little nuances of how they talk and their body language and their tonality and their the the uh, the volume of their voice, all of those things play a role in how people are accepting or not accepting how you come across. So there's a there's a touch to it, and sometimes, well, one thing you don't want to go like is that you're trying too hard. That you want to try hard, but looking like you're trying hard. So yeah. that's a that's a skill, and people are looking at you, how you present yourself, the energy that you're giving off. They're judging you based off of that. And most of it is nonverbal. It's not the words that you say, it's how you say it and the energy around what you say. So that's the, the biggest thing that I would say. And you can get that from engaging with in person or virtually like through books and courses and videos. And these days you have access to all of that stuff. You get it through engaging with people who already have this art master. Some people have it innately and some people have worked on it.
0: Who who do you like? Because obviously you're in the, the speaker space. I'm assuming there's a few speakers you like. Who do you, I don't want to use the word copy or mimic, it's not the right word, but are there mm. people that you've taken some of their techniques and thought, I'm going to use that and I'm going to bring that into the way I communicate?
2: Man, well, I the biggest space that I get it from is from reading, from authors. Mm not yeah. necessarily um, on stage speakers, but authors. So I would look at someone like uh, Robert Green who wrote the 48 yeah. laws of power. And I, I don't even consider him much of a, uh, he's not that much. Of, he's not a charismatic guy. I don't think yeah. he is. Yeah. He's a great writer. Yeah. But And I, what I do is I take the stuff that he writes and I translate it through my own brain and figure out how can I apply this in <clears throat> what I do. But uh, going back, you look at a, a Zig Ziglar, uh, Tony Robbins is a great. He's a great person as far as mm. speaking, as far as, Getting his point across his way, so you have to know your style as well, and yep. you have to know how you're being perceived. So you look at someone like Tony Robbins. Everybody knows who he is. Uh, he's like six eight, right? And he's huge, so he comes across a certain way because that works with him. It works with his physical stature. It works with what he talks about. It works with you know what we the preconceived notion people have of him, mm-hmm. how what people expect him to be like. He yep. he does all that, and it works for him. But that doesn't mean everybody should try to be like him. So you have to know, you have to have a a good feel for how people are perceiving you when they look at you. What are they seeing and what are they thinking? Yeah, and you can kind of persuade people. Uh, Childini's book talks about that, the persuasion by what's in your bio, what's on your website, what do people see when they're going to your content. Like right? so, yeah. when you have a pretty good feel of what people are expecting of you, you can play into that, and you can also kind of. You can kind of zag and go against it, so it kind of it can give you an advantage with the audience. If they're expecting one thing, you go do something else, and you can find your you know, the points you're going to make them laugh or surprise them or whatever it's going to be. So it's really having a it's being being very self aware. That's the phrase mm-hmm. that I'm, I'm talking about here. That high self awareness. I think Tony Robbins is great at it. Uh, Robert Green's great at it. Uh, a lot of musical artists that I like. Uh, Jay Z's great at it. Uh, I think Fifty Cent is great mm-hmm. at it. Michael Jordan, another one, uh, great at just having a high level of self-awareness and knowing how you're being perceived and playing with it, not necessarily yeah. playing into it, but playing with it. So sometimes you can surprise people and go against it.
0: I think if everything I'm hearing about AI at the moment, right, is that we're going to be taking away the menial automatic tasks from sales and what's left is exactly what you've just mentioned which is the ability to communicate and ability to influence and persuade mm. and connect and be empathetic and have you know emotional intelligence that is going to be the future of sales I think that that's what you know I was on a LinkedIn call the other day everyone I'm speaking to is you know the, the mechanical stuff is going to go away and it's going to leave the pure persuasion piece and the reason I, the reason I ask is who do you who do you copy? I I try and take pieces from everywhere. So if I think about my journey as a trainer and a speaker, as a kid, when I was in school, I couldn't stand in front of a group. I couldn't have this conversation because I was terrified. You know, it's like story, get to the front and read and you'd like be hiding behind the book. That was like kind of the thing. It was just terrifying. But now I do it as a job. And the reason is, I think there's a couple. As number one is, you just put yourself out there. And you know, you're not going to win all of them, as you said, and just keep throwing yourself into that environment until you learn. But also, modeling other people. And you said, you know, copy the good salespeople. Find out what they're saying. How are they delivering it? And you know, I take I will take speakers like the motiversity speeches. I'm listening to those. I'm like, oh, I like the way they say that kind of thing. Or I like the way they take the voice up and down. Like you say, Tony is a is a great example. But Tony is a six eight giant. If he's intense all the time, you just terrified. You just get bombarded. So he's got a great way of coming down and just bringing people into listen. It's like wow. So that kind of flexibility, I think, is is huge. But soft skills are, are certainly going to be coming up and becoming more important for salespeople. Let's. The, the reason I wanted to get into this, So the mindset game, I think, is is underrated in sales. I think you know, and I use the word fluffy quite a lot. We mm. all talk about objection handling and asking questions and your know, closing skills and and all those bits and pieces but you said earlier the game is won often before we even get into those moment won or lost by what's going on inside our head when you talk to business people about mindset what are the key things that you discuss what are the key things that you make them work on is there anything that really stands out when you think about applying it in
2: business Sure. Four specific areas. So discipline, confidence, mental toughness, and personal initiative. So those are the four pieces of the framework when it comes to mindset that uh, we help people with. So that discipline is the most important piece. And that's why it's the first one and that's uh, showing up every single day to, to do the work. And this is it's the simplest one, but it's the one that is most often violated. Yeah. People just don't show up consistently to do the work. And the reason why is because a lot of people don't know where discipline comes from. They think they need to just uh, force feed discipline upon themselves, make themselves be disciplined or push themselves to be more consistent. And what they actually need then is they need structure. And when you have the right structure or process or system, you can use them interchangeably in this context. When you have the right structure in place, the discipline is a byproduct of you following the structure. So this is like you work at a, a job and you're a salesperson for a company. As long as they have a tight process, And they have their standard operating procedures laid out and you follow it, then you will be disciplined because you're following the system. You're following exactly what the process tells you to do. And this can apply to a person as well. You can create your own processes and systems in your own life. And as long as you follow them and you hold yourself accountable to following your own process, which is very hard for a lot of people to do, then you will be disciplined. So that's the biggest thing to help people with is the discipline because discipline creates confidence. A lot of times people, they want the confidence. They don't come saying, I want discipline. They say, I want confidence. But confidence is is sourced from discipline. You're showing up every day and doing the work that builds your belief in your ability to do a thing, whatever it is. And then the third piece of the mental toughness, which is, uh, I describe it as the security system, the bodyguard for your confidence and for your discipline is your mental toughness. Understanding that there will be setbacks, there will be challenges, there will be things that don't go the way you expect them to go. But you had to have the resilience to keep going anyway and keep showing up, even though you got knocked down the last five times. And then the initiative, personal initiative is about going and actually getting started. So don't just get caught up in consuming the information. That's another thing that with AI is only going to exacerbate this. We already have this is already enough of a problem with the content that so many of us create so much of it. That people just become these information gatherers. That's all they're doing is they become, I call them pigs, professional information gatherers. They're just gathering information, right? But they're not actually applying anything that they gather. So it's like if someone has a a shelf, a bookshelf full of books, that's great. You read all those books, but pull out one book off the shelf and tell me what you applied from this book. What did you apply from that book? What did you apply from this book? So you took that course. Okay. What did you do differently based on the course? Or you went to this conference. Okay. What action did you take based on what you learned at the conference? Uh, a lot of times I'll be at a conference next week. It's a five-day conference. There'll be 8,000 people there. Most of the people at that conference are not going to do a damn thing based on anything damn. that gets said on that stage. Nothing. They're going to go to the conference. They're going to feel good. They're going to take pictures, tell everybody they were there, and they're going to do nothing. They're going to go right back home and do the same stuff that they were doing before. And that's the the biggest challenge. That's what most people do. So, And, and there's another thing that I used to tell athletes this, and I tell them, business people this to this day look around at what everybody else is doing do the opposite of that and that's where your opportunities at
0: so here you go you've got eight thousand people in a room and i know what this is like as a trainer you say all the good things if you know you know right. what you're sharing with them is gold and then right. like say they go away and they don't do anything it. it's like ah this is the <laughs> ultimate frustration and, and it's, if you're a teacher you understand what i'm talking about if you've never taught or instructed or trained or anything like that you're like, oh, whatever. If you could get one of those people in a room <laughs> and you, the room was locked, there were no cameras or anything like that, aside from physical violence, what would you say to them? What would be the one thing that you really want to impress upon them if they don't change? Like, we know things are going to carry on. How would you deliver that message?
2: I would, well, there's a lot of different ways <laughs> I've delivered it. There's a lot of different things I've done, so... I try to give it, give it to people as many different ways as I can to see what hits them because not everybody gets the same message the same way. So the most important thing I am always reminding my audience is that time is your most valuable resource, mm-hmm. not money, not, and you got five forms of investment, time, money, attention, energy, and focus. Uh, time is the only one that you can't get more back. If you lose it all, uh, you lose time is over. Call that death. Uh, you can lose money and come back. You can lose yeah. energy, attention, and focus. Go take a nap no drink a red bull go to sleep at night next day you'll have more but time when that runs out is completely over and the biggest thing that i see with people is they are often adding delay into their lives dan this is probably the the biggest um error if you want to call it biggest faux pas that i see people committing is adding delay and adding time to a situation so Mm -hmm. The I got to think about it. There's nothing to think about. Thinking happens very quickly. So yep. it, it's either you're going to do it or you're not going to do it. Now, you might be thinking about how you're going to tell me no, but you're not thinking about whether or not the answer is yes. And you already know the answer pretty, pretty quickly. Only yep. time on, and people don't need to think about it. Maybe you need to go get the money because you don't have it right now, but you're not thinking about it. You know, you need to do it. You just can't do it right now. But this is a, a common thing is that people just want to add time to a situation or they want to do things at their own pace, which is your own pace is always too slow, yeah. So this is why you know, we have trainers. Because when you have a trainer, I was in a boxing gym this morning. I'm not a boxer. I have a boxing trainer. And he will have me doing stuff that I would never have myself doing. right? And that's the whole point. Because if I was to do it by myself, I would get half the results and it would take me twice as long. Yeah. But when you have a trainer, you get double the results in half the time. That's the whole point. Because they're going to push you outside of your comfort zone to do something that you otherwise didn't want to do. The challenge for a lot of people today, especially in today's world where as a, as a general point, people are just softer and weaker. I find in today's world than they were 20, 30 years ago that people don't want to be pushed. I mean, there are still people out there who do want to be pushed, but in general, people are less open to being pushed. They're less open to being held accountable. And there's still, you always got that small percentage of people who are really open to it. And they, they practice what I call the slight edge right? Which is they're already ahead of everybody and they keep doing stuff to stay ahead of everybody. Those are my favorite clients, by the way. Right. Yeah. The, the people who I have to kind of, you got to kind of cajole them and convince them and help them understand they're a little bit more work because they don't quite understand it. They haven't, they kind of, they haven't had that mindset for a long enough time and they're always delaying, taking long and they want to do things at their own pace and they want to take baby steps and all of those things, add time to a situation unnecessarily and that's what keeps a lot of people from getting to their success because people live as if especially in the world that we're in now Dan the world we live in is relatively safe it's no it's you're nobody's in danger you're not walking out of your house and wondering if you'll come back home for the most part yeah and because of that people have very little urgency that's the the word very little urgency about their lives even when they're in a situation that is less than ideal, they have no urgency about fixing it, right? and it just, they're just not. There's no fire lit under them to actually do something about the situation. If you watch them, you would think that everything was going great, but people just get into this hypnotic state, and they're they're sleepwalking through life. So this is stuff that I talk about all the time with my audiences. Like you're, you're sleepwalking. You're moving too slow. Yeah. Uh, you have no urgency about changing anything, and it has nothing to do with. The common excuse people have is their resources right the common thing is i don't have the money i can't afford to do xyz but you can afford to move a little bit faster than you're moving like right? yep. you can afford to do a live stream every day Like right? that's free uh you can yep. afford to an email to your list you can do that you can afford to write more articles you can afford to post on linkedin uh, you're posting once a day how about three times a day all right yep. it's completely free right? and you're there are people who might see it if you post I've gotten clients from just posting on Instagram, doing a live stream, writing articles. Um, A lot of my clients are not ad driven. They're not ad produced. They're not produced by advertising. I advertise, but I think my clients come from the inner, the inner list because I'm continuously publishing and I'm continuously staying in front of people. And that doesn't cost anything. That's my whole point. And a lot of people just use the excuse of lacking tangible resources when it's really your mental and emotional resources that are really your short on, yeah,
0: and it's stepping outside a comfort zone, right? And I think again, right. if we go back to athletes and sports people, you are constantly thrown outside of your comfort zone. You don't have a choice, especially when your coach says, "Try this," or you've never done it before. I remember I was in Finland. <laughs> I had it was the weirdest thing. I I'd only I only learned left and right. That was all I knew. Whether we were going left or right, but the coach got me. This is when I was playing quarterback. Drop back play action, and immediately turning around without even thinking it and tightened over the top on a slap. And I'm like, my hand movement was fast. I never had to do. My read was faster I was like, I can't hit this. The first few times, it was embarrassing. Like, I'm not going to lie. It was terrible. But there's like, coach, 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 footwork, handwork, placement, do this, that. And then you hit it. and But that requires coaching. That requires me having trust in something. But that, in, that requires me to do something different. Like I have to do something different. Otherwise, I'm just doing the same old thing over and over again. And like you said, having a coach does that. But people, I agree, I, they don't want to step outside the comfort zone. And that sounds different. It sounds like work-life balance. It sounds like, oh, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. It sounds like so many excuses, but it's really the comfort zone. And they're not right. prepared to stretch themselves and challenge themselves. Um Right. This, is, this has been a phenomenal conversation. I know we've only got a short amount of time left, so I'm just gonna see what we can get. Sales is a tough, sales is a tough space to be in, I'd say, especially right now, as as the world's going crazy and, and most likely say people are staying inside their comfort zone and they're not wanting to change and risk doing things differently. What advice would you give to salespeople? What's the one piece of advice from your journey, your experience, the mindset, the the sports, the mental toughness. What's the one piece of advice you would give to salespeople right now?
2: Keep in mind that salespeople are who make the money move in the world. And Mm -hmm. the only time anything changes, anything gets done is somebody has to sell something, whether it's an idea, a product or a service. So if you're thinking about getting out of the sales game, that's impossible. Because anything you do, you have to sell something. So I would suggest you stay in it and just get better at it because the only way anything moves, changes or happens in life is if something gets sold. Perfect.
0: I completely agree. Sales is what drives every business in the world. And we are all in sales. It doesn't matter what you are. Um, Hmm. Last part then, just on the mindset. What's the one mindset tip that you want everybody to think about? That seems to be your biggest thing is it's the mind that drives results. If you could just leave one message, what would that be?
2: Hmm. Just one message. It's developing a sense of urgency. And when you're mm. consciously thinking about that sense of urgency, you will move a little bit faster, maybe a lot faster. You get a lot more done. Uh, instead of putting things off till later, you'll get them done now and just change your default setting. Here's what I would tell people. Most people's default setting in life is slow and later. I want you to change it to fast and now. Ooh,
0: I love that. I one of my f- favorite hates is the status quo bias. I would do everything I can. Mm. To blow up every status quo, um, but that was beautiful. So, change your default from slow and later to fast and now, brilliant. Dre, mm-hmm. this has been phenomenal. Uh, I can see you've got books galore. How many books are you on now? 30
2: something, be 33.
0: 33. Okay, um, so by the time this podcast gets released, we're probably going to be into the early 40s or something like that for the science things maybe. Um but this yeah. was a phenomenal conversation. I am, I'm psyched. I'm like, I'm going to listen to this back when we do the editing. I'm going to be, uh, hopefully, in the fast and now uh, camp. How can people find out more about you? Where would you say is the best place to connect?
2: Sure. The the best place is just come over to check out workonyourgameuniversity dot com. That's university dot com. That's where we do all our uh, coaching, high level trainings, frameworks, etc. And only place that I coach anybody. Mm-hmm. And then as far as the socials, I'm on all the social media platforms actively. We publish everywhere at least once a day. It should be more than once a day. My assistant keeping up on that stuff. And uh, probably most active on Instagram, which is just my name, at Dre Baldwin. I use the stories function. So if you want to get a feel for what I do on a day-to-day basis, Instagram stories will give you a good idea. And then I'm publishing YouTube still. I'm on all the social platforms. Any social platforms with my name up, I'm easy to find. Awesome.
0: Like I said at the beginning, this is... This is why I wanted to get into it. Let's bring the power of mindset. Let's bring the power of psychology, coaching, all of the amazing stuff that you're doing into sales, into the business world more. And Drake, I think you've done that uh, and some more today. So thanks for bringing the game, bringing the intensity and appreciate the message.
2: I appreciate the opportunity, Dan. Thank you for sharing your platform.
1: You know what I think, Ron? I think that was a sales call. Good job, buddy. So you're going to buy a subscription? No, I already get the times. Bye-bye.